Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. It is Friday, April 22nd. It's 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the East Coast of America. I am the founder of the Sales Pro Network. I'm a sales coach and trainer, and I work with both individuals and organizations to help them get measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network as a, a place where salespeople can come and hang out, ask questions, get coaching network with each other, learn how to make more money. And as you know, every Friday at 10 a.m., we do a live broadcast and we either interview somebody who can add value to the profession of sales or we I, I do a live training today. I've got somebody very special for you. It's my pleasure to introduce you to my new friend, Fred Copestake. And by the way, before you say hello, Fred, I have to tell you that when I posted yesterday that I was excited to talk to you, one of the members of the team wrote back and said, I read that as Cupcake, so I promised I would introduce you as Fred Cupcake. So here's my friend, Fred Cupcake. Good morning, Fred. Cupcake, soap flake, chopstick, cheapskate. <laughs> All good. Cupcake. As long as the check's made out to the right name, right? Uh, Fred. <laughs> well, it's very good to be speaking with you today, Fred. Fred, uh, before we get going, could you maybe take a minute or two and just give us the background, the two-minute version of your background? What brought you up to this point? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, um, Fred Copestake. Uh, founder of Brindis, a sales training company. Um, I mean, I've been doing that for 22 years, 23 years now. I've uh, been around the world 14 times, trained over 10,000 salespeople, and I've had a brilliant time doing it. I had I mean, a really brilliant time. But also gave me the opportunity to, to spot some of the challenges that salespeople have today, which is why I've written, uh, written one book to start with, and then I had to write another book pretty quickly afterwards because COVID came along and uh, didn't change what, what salespeople need to do but uh, it certainly added more challenges. And so I wanted to, to respond to that pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, that, that's it basically. So I've been, been around a lot working with salespeople and just having a great fun doing it. Got it. You said you have a great time doing it. What's so much fun about doing what you do? Um, I mean, just from that, that pure travel point of view and going to different places and working with people in a different environment is great because there's, people say, oh, it's different here, different here, different here. The sales fundamentals are the same. So that's great. Passing on the knowledge and giving people results. I mean, you know, that's where you get a buzz as well, isn't it? But then the challenge to yourself to be able to just make the tweak to make sure that what you're doing in kind of Bogota is relevant, then it's kind of Dubai next, it's somewhere else next. I, I like that. I mean, and knowing you're getting it right is, uh, is pretty cool. It's the, it's the personal challenge bit, I guess. I hear you. I, I love when you see the light bulb go off over their heads in the audience and you can see that they're actually getting it. Uh, and like you, I've, I've you know done this in, in a lot of places, I, and I'm always stunned uh, and honored when somebody brings me to some place like England, because uh, my, my thought is always, don't you know there are guys who do what I do there? I'm not going to tell them, but uh, yeah, it, 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 it's kind of it, uh, it, in the beginning of my career for me, it was kind of an ego thing. Wow, they think enough of me to fly them into England. Now it's like I'm happy to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> It's the same when I went to the States. It's like there's hundreds of guys over here who are really good. <laughs> I've probably learnt my stuff off the books they've written. But it's sometimes just the different accent or the different emphasis, or it, it might be a different speciality. Um, but, yeah, it is a, it is a flattering thing. But, but yeah. for me, it, it's making that difference. That, that is great. When we can do that, happy days. I hear you. I actually got contacted by a guy from Cutter who said, oh, you're from New York? They'll just love you just from because you're from New York. It doesn't matter what you say. New Yorkers, they love you. Sounds it's, good to me. It's funny when I'm working in the States, my accent becomes terribly English. I mean, really, a lot more English than I'm probably sounding on the show now. <laughs> <laughs> it's good fun. Well, for most of us, uh, we think that just about anything that comes out of your mouth sounds brilliant just because of the accent. That's it. I mean, we, don't, we didn't do any self-training, actually. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Just told them stories. <laughs> hey, guys, if you're watching us live, please say hello in the comments. If you're on Facebook and you have not connected your Facebook account to StreamYard, we won't know who you are, so please put your name in there, too. And if you have any questions for Fred as we're going through this, please put them in the comments, too. I'll get them to him, and I'm sure he'd be thrilled to answer them for you. And finally, if you're watching us on the replay, please be sure to put replay in the comments. And good morning to you, Steve Kent. Let's get right to some questions. Fred, um, can you speak a little bit about maybe the evolution of sales? Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that having been around quite a bit is that you do see some of the changes. But then I started to make it a bit, bit of a study because I thought, well, you know, there's lots of things which have happened in selling. And I want to make sure that we capture all the good stuff, that we totally dismiss a lot of the bad stuff. And so that what we are doing today is really helping the salespeople we're working with do, do the right thing. And so... 
I mean, I kind of went back to, to sort of the 50s and I kind of spotted some sort of trends that was going on in sales training and the way in which people were trying to sell. And a lot of it is still really good. It's still really relevant. We don't want to throw it away. And so broadly, and these are these are jemmied in a little bit to fit in the, in the decades. In the 50s, we saw that it was very much about, well, it's about the era, wasn't it? It was about, it's about rebuilding. It was about processes, it's about being more effective, more efficient. So it's all about process methodology, tried and tested techniques, doing the same thing time and time again. You think, well, okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> we have, why would we not train people to have structures and methodologies and stuff now? Makes sense, huh? Then you kind of move into the 60s. And I always think the 60s, I always think of like the flower power, the psychedelia, you know, <laughs> the kind of, well, this fascination with the brain and doing things with it. But in the case of selling, it was about, we're trying to understand how people think. You know, what's their psychology? How can we adapt our approach to fit in with them? Make things that we do more comfortable because how they think. Again, well, that makes sense now. Why would we not want to do that? Have a customer think feeling comfortable. So again, use personality style analysis and stuff. That's cool. Well, I looked at the 70s and went, they've talked far more about benefits in the 70s. You know, the old what's in it for me, their features, advantage, benefit, all that kind of stuff. And again, that, that's a fundamental, that's a foundation. If you, if you don't understand that stuff now, I wouldn't even let you on the phone on a Zoom call in the car or anything. It's like, you know, you've got to use that as a basis. Eight is, uh, <laughs> close, close, close. <laughs> you, you looked at it and think, well, did anything good come out of the 80s for selling? Or is it just like where it made our reputation really bad? I'm glass off full. And so I kind of see that if sales is a series of advancements, if we have to close certain stages, if we've got to keep moving forward, let's take that from that decade. But let's not take much else because actually we want to be forward fasting into the 90s pretty quickly because consultative selling. I mean, that's kind of what really came to the fore there. Absolute foundation of what it is that we're, we're doing now. Understanding people's needs, asking better questions, becoming the trusted advisor. And this is the sort of stuff that salespeople must, must, must get their heads around. But it's still 30 odd years old, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's other evolutions which, which are built on that. Where you sort of see in the, in the noughties, it was kind of talked about, well, yes, you've got to be consultative, but you've got to add value as well. But, you know, understand context better, bring more perspective to the party, help people think more about what you can really do for them and how you can work together. So that's pretty cool. Tens. I mean, then I was talking about social stature. So it's, it's kind of positioning yourself as the go-to salesperson and making sure that you are considered the, the expert and just starting to use web 2.0. <laughs> I mean, now we talk about social media and personal branding, yeah, which again, still relevant. We will take these things from it. And then in the twenties, you know, I saw the next iteration, the next evolution being all about becoming more collaborative. Collaborative selling is where it's at for me. It's taking a lot of that good stuff that we've you know, I've just talked about, but making sure we're really co-creating, we're working together, we're kind of with the customer. The whole collaboration thing is the way we are going to drive each other's results. And that's the stuff that really kind of made me think, yes, you know what? We want to be helping people do this as best they possibly can. And so that's the little, the, the kind of how I've seen sales. It's simplified a little bit, but evolve good bits from it let's keep them and we'll bin some of the other rubbish so now it's really more about seeing the the prospect as a partner i i, I believe so yeah i've I been mean, i talk about selling with partnering skills <laughs> that's the title of the book you know so it's you take the partnering skills which a lot of people go oh well, that's for channel isn't it that's for when you're building alliances that's the formal no it's for me every single sale because if you understand what the partnering skills are it starts to change how you think, like you said, about the customer. And they are my partner. I want to work with them. Might not be a formal business alliance. It's a customer. But in my head, I work with them like they're my partner. Changes what you say and do. And for me, that informs the more collaborative approach. That's your, that's your, your ticket into thinking that way. Yeah, I like that a lot because the customer knows what they need. The customer knows what they want. And instead of us pitching, 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 which was the really old style, oh, yeah, let me show you why this company, our company is the yeah. greatest one in the world and why you should be using us. If somebody knows what they want, what they need, what would really help them the most, then why not be a partner with them and ask them the right questions and involve them in a conversation so that you can understand what they want and need. And then if you can actually deliver it, now you've got a sale. 
Is that pretty much what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. What well, what's a good point to do is, is if that's if they know what they want, will you help them to do that? If they don't know what they want, a good partner will say, okay, well, I'm here to guide you. I'm here to work with you on that. Yeah. A good partner will say, you know what? What I want to do isn't the best thing. Let me introduce you to somebody else because what goes around comes around. So it's it's that mindset and it's the, these sets of partnering skills I came across. PQ. It's like the the, the lesser known cousin of IQ and EQ, that if you start to bring those into your cell, again, I, I'll tell you whatever style, bring those in, that informs you as to how to work uh, most effectively with people. In a, in a really modern approach. Yeah, I, I like everything you're saying, but especially I, I love that if I'm not the right person or pr product or company for you, I'm going to introduce you to somebody else who can be. I, I have two main competitors here on Long Island where I live. I've referred business to both of them where, where I just didn't either. I didn't feel I was right or uh, or they weren't right for me because I have a set of criteria for who yeah, I'll yeah. work with or I was just too busy. Uh, I, I certainly, you know, you said what goes around comes around. I also believe in the abundance theory. There's plenty yeah, of yeah. business for everybody. And I'm all, I've taught my kids and everybody I work with for years and years an acronym ADTRT, which stands for always do the right thing. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm borrowing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you find are some of the challenges for modern salespeople? Yeah. So, so this is the stuff that I've kind of distilled from going off around the world all those times and looking at what people do. Different sectors, you have different countries, but broadly they fall into three main areas that I kind of made up my own little terms for, and I can explain what they are. But I talk about busy, 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 oldie, worldy, and muddled mindset. Those are three challenges that most salespeople will have one to maybe all three, uh, three strikes and you're kind of out type thing, but busy, busy, busy. Okay, it's where the salesperson is busy. They're running around, they're being really active, you know, working hard, nose to grindstone, early starts, late finishes. They're getting on with stuff, grinding, hustling. It's just ineffective. That's the problem. What they're doing and all that busyness isn't translating to business. You know, so it's kind of like, it's just not effective. And we see that challenge so often. And people perpetuate it by just getting busier, trying to fix it, and it just goes into this horrible vicious spiral. It can then be connected to oldie worldy, you know, like ye oldie worldy sweetie shoppy, where oldie worldy is old fashioned stuff. People are trying techniques which were in vogue. You know, I've kind of skipped through that that evolution and given some of the, the things which work still. There's plenty of things which people were saying during the time which now are totally irrelevant. They won't work, so it just waste time. It makes you busier. It could be worse than that. It could actually wind people up because they see through it going. That is so salesy. That is just not good. I don't want to work with somebody who behaves like that. Exacerbates the problem. Then you end up with this kind of muddled mindset thing where I think, and often this is probably a bit more of a company's responsibility in that they'll say, we're consultative. Our salespeople are consultative. They're going to be trusted advisors. They're going to work with you. We provide solutions. Oh, this is excellent stuff. Yes, yes, yes. I want to work with you. And it's like that 28 days of the month. <laughs> Come the last two days, it's, oh, we haven't made enough sales. Right. Get out there, sell some stuff. Go on, push that, push that, discount that. Go on, do it this. Salesperson's like, uh, am I consultative? Am I transactional? Am I trying to work with the customer? Am I trying to flog stuff to them? Or, or, or what's going on? And the customer's like, what is going on? Actually, we know what's going on. You're just going to come to stay in a month and give us a discount. Okay, guess what you trained us to do? <laughs> so you, you kind of see how these are linked together. They're slightly different, but common. They're the challenges that, that people have to deal with today. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of like that famous first 10 minutes in the movie, Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, with Alec Baldwin as the sales manager from hell, where he points to the board and goes, ABC, always be closing. That, that that didn't work when it first came out, and it doesn't work today. You know, always, hi, Fred, nice to meet you. Will you buy from me? Always be closing doesn't work. There's only one time to close, and then that's when the customer, the prospect, thinks it's time to close. Yeah. But I, always I love be what collaborating. You're always be collaborating, that's all I'm going to say. Much all better. Control. Yeah. All good. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, when I started my career almost 50 years ago, I sold Encyclopedia Britannica. And that was a one call close where you really had to push hard. It was you, you either bought or you didn't. 48, 48 years ago, that stuff did work. It doesn't work today. Today's consumer is way too educated. The Internet really did change everything for us in sales. Yeah. And it, it, it's too easy to find out everything they need to know before they even meet with us. So that collaborative salesperson, the helpful salesperson that really helps people come to the right decision for them is really the way to go. And 
I'm with you a million percent. You know, those let it. I don't know about it, where you are, but here in America, anybody with a half a brain buys a car the last two days of the month because they know the salespeople are under huge pressure to close deals and they're going to give you the best uh, discount they possibly can. Yeah, it, it is. That's that's kind of what we train people to do. And people think, oh, God, I was really clever. I closed that deal. Well, not really. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So so what can salespeople do? How, how do they deal with these challenges? Okay, so we talk about... Um, the, the busy, busy, busy. I said it's being about ineffective. So the cure is to be effective. <laughs> so how do we do that? For me, it's about preparation. It's about planning. It's about process. So again, it's just taking your time to think about what is the best thing I can do here with this customer? What is my overall plan to go about achieving my target? And if it's if it, my problem is because I'm unfocused and I kind of get distracted with things, it's use a process which time and time again is going to give me the best results. So don't be so wasteful, prepare stuff. Think about how you can actually just, it's, it's a very tiring, stressful place to be the busy, busy, busy. So by just planning and knowing how and when you're going to do things, that's what will take, take, start to alleviate that problem. When we talk about the, um, the oldie worldie, I mean, again, the, the simple, the flippant thing is we'll get up to date. <laughs> Stop being so old fashioned. But, you know, easier said than done. So what do we need to do? So for me, this is flip, follow and focus. So you flip what it is you do, because one of the things we know that people are doing in an old fashioned way is being quite self-centered. It's like you said, right, let me talk about me. Let me talk about my products. Let me talk about my company. It's me, me, me. Aren't we great? No, talk about the customer. So you flip it, spend more time talking about them. Something that can happen with that, and I've seen it particularly in technical industries, is people get too techie sometimes. They get right down into the weeds and they get so fascinated with a little detail. It's like that can with some people be exactly the right thing to do. Many others, it's like, oh, please just stop already. <laughs> too much detail. So again, it's like follow a process, follow a way of working that's going to keep you doing the right thing at the right time. And if it's Poor practice. If you're just using old-fashioned stuff, you think it's a good idea. Just focus on what works today. <laughs> There's enough stuff out there. Yeah, they don't need to buy your books. They don't need to buy my books. There's enough free stuff out there. But if you did want to buy us, it's not that thing. Absolutely. <laughs> but no, I mean, there's enough education to know what doesn't work now and what does. And then with the uh, the the model mindset stuff, is just we need better alignment. So again, I talk about clarity, coaching, and commitment on this. So it's. The organization has to be clear on the way they want to operate and they have to stick with that so that then the managers know, okay, this is good. This is what we're trying to help people to implement and we can coach it. Coaching is a totally different podcast, isn't it? <laughs> but no, we can coach it. We can reinforce it. We can make sure it's happening. So then the salesperson is like, okay, I can commit to what I'm going to do because I know it is the thing that's expected. It's the right thing. And that is what's going to make the difference here. So there's the challenges. They're the sort of the quick ways to to fix those. And that's all what's built into being more collaborative and, and the thinking behind why that works so well today. Yeah, I love what you said about uh, uh, getting into the weeds. I find quite often I've trained sales engineers and boy, oh boy, do they love to talk technology. And you know, when you're speaking to the right person who understands what you're talking about, that's brilliant. But otherwise, you can literally see people leaving the room. Well, not literally. They're figuratively leaving the room. Mentally, they're leaving it. Their eyes glaze over, and they're just waiting for you to finish so they can kick your rear end out. Uh, you really do have to speak to the level of the prospect. And sometimes all that technical jargon is just getting in the way. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of having genuine conversations. Yeah. Sometimes it's totally right. I mean, it's just right. Okay. It was an engineer. We're talking engineering. I'll, I'll come back in a couple of hours. <laughs> they'll be the best friends and they'll have actually done lots of correct stuff. But, you know, the FD walks in and he starts getting told how this works with it. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know you're big on hybrid selling. What, what is hybrid selling? Uh, yeah. So I, I kind of put my own definition on that. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff going on, wasn't there? As soon as pandemic hit, about hybrid this, hybrid that, hybrid working, hybrid meetings, and people start talking about hybrid selling. And it kind of got up my nose a little bit because it's like, hang on a minute. You know what we are saying here? It's nothing big and nothing new. Salespeople have worked in customer locations, in their own locations, in neutral locations. They've worked online. They've worked offline. They've worked on the phone. They've worked in meetings, worked in hotels. That's nothing new for many of us. So it's not trying to give it a new label. However, hybrid's a pretty good label. Let's think about what it actually means. It's actually a mix. 
And that's what people are doing. It's like mixing being in real life and mixing on screen. And I'll go, look, that's one part of it. But for me, hybrid selling, it's like mixing up a whole bunch of approaches to sales that we're now needing because as COVID came in, it's forced the rate of change. Stuff that was going to happen is now in place and stuff that is going to happen is going to happen faster. And that's just laid on a pot, a pot for your busy, 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 oldie, wildie, muddle mindset. You've now got another set of challenges on top of that to do with speed of change. So the hybrid selling approach is just bringing in some of the things, many which exist already, some are a little bit newer than others, and just making sure you're competent in all these things to future-proof yourself and to make sure you are doing the right stuff for customers. Mm. The analogy, there's a simple analogy to this is, if you imagine sales is playing a drum and you're sat there and you've got a little snare drum and you're tapping away on it, that's not the best performance, but that's what some sellers are figuratively doing. They've kind of got away with it and it's been okay up till now and people have watched that performance. But then when they start to go, hang on a minute, I need a bit more than that. You need a full drum kit. You need a lot of different drums, different things, different parts of percussion that you can play to do the right thing at the right time to keep the, the whole performance something that people want to be uh, engaged with. That's what we need to do. That's what hybrid is doing is bringing in this mix of different sales disciplines to make sure that what you're going to be doing is going to be current and kind of more important future-proofed. Got it. Okay. Pete Ekstrom, who's listening in, says hybrid selling ZZZ. I don't know whether that means it's putting him to sleep or he's excited and that it's electric, one or the other, but uh, glad to see you're here today, Peter. Uh, well, um, it, uh, I'm hoping that it's ZZZ with this old fashioned kind of like, uh, that's not really what it is. A lot of people basically define hybrid as virtuous. Well, it's virtuous, it's got its own name, you know, <laughs> it's already there. There's so many other bits. Um, Five, six parts to it. I use the acronym Evolve. Okay, let's, let's, let's see if Peter's okay with this then or whether it's still boring. So <laughs> E for essentials. You've got to have the essentials. If you're going to be involved in sales in any way, shape or form, you have to have a good solid foundation. If you're not building off that, it's a house on sand and there's going to be trouble ahead. V, virtual. Yes, we have to now be comfortable in doing stuff online asynchronous as well as synchronous we've got to bring social selling into the equation we've got to use some of that kind of stuff and we've even got to get our heads around some, some of the ai tools and some of the things which can do the heavy lifting for us do the boring bits and then let's do the human bits which only we can do happy days we then go into the o for evolve that's opportunity management so this is all about understanding okay this this opportunity that i have who are the people involved what's important to them how am i going to map that what information i've got about competitors what do I know about myself? And what do I start to know that I don't know? <laughs> it's those kind of known unknowns. So that you can then start to synthesize what are the right actions to be able to keep that sale moving forward. Again, that's that's a discipline. It's not, I'm not inventing anything there. It's been around a long time. You know, the old blue sheets. Remember blue sheets, Mill Hyman? <laughs> it's literally big sheets of paper. I'm sure they're electronic now, but L is lead. Salespeople have got to be leaders. We've got to be leaders. Yeah, we've got to lead customers. In which case a lot of people go, oh, hang on a minute. Have you got a bit 80s on us, Fred? What do you mean leading customers? You said we don't want to do any of that stuff. No, no, it's lead guide. Guide customers and take them on the journey if they need that. If they know their journey, then we align to it. Equally, we've got to be able to lead our own teams to be, need to be bringing other people in. So again, there's, there's, for me, it's more servant leader skills that salespeople can, can deploy. The next V is about value selling. Again, nothing massively new there. I would question how many people do it really, really well. Because a lot of people rock up and tell you, tell you what your value is. Well, which is not right. <laughs> it's like work with somebody to understand what they think value is. Ways to do that. And again, refining that and doing that. So again, your customer focused makes a big difference. The last D of Evolve is to expand what you're doing. So it's about account management skills, customer success management skills, self-management skills. <laughs> Hybrid selling is easy peasy. So just that stuff. <laughs> no, it, it, it's quite overwhelming. That's, that's David Brock wrote the forward to the book. He said, oh, that's pretty overwhelming. But of course, that's the point. It is. Yeah, it's a big ask on professional B2B salespeople to be able to deliver on all those fronts if they're going to carry on being useful and relevant. If not, what are you here for? I, I don't understand what role you'll be fulfilling. Well, it anyway. and, and, that's why, <laughs> and that's why good salespeople get the big bucks. 
because they're very competent in all that stuff. You know, they're not they're not sat tapping away on the little drum. They're like <laughs> the drum analogy always reminds me of when I went to see um I went to see Guns N' Roses, but it actually it was the support band, which was uh, Motley Crue supporting. <laughs> Tommy Lee's the drummer, isn't he? <laughs> and of course the show's about him. The drunk is in the middle of the stage. Yeah, it's normally the back note middle. Big ring of light around it. Longer drum solos in every piece of music that you'd normally need. He's like, that's it. And then at one stage, he's in this ring of light, okay? And, it starts moving, the drum kit starts moving side to side and it's going up the sides of this ring and it's like, is he, is he? Oh yes, he is, so he's upside down. He's upside down, ring of light, drumming away. He's drunk, it's huge as well, by the way. It's like, what a star. That's why he's getting the bags, that's why he's getting the books. Um, actually, no, interestingly on that, what he did, when he came back down to the ground, he got off his drum kit, he went and got somebody out of the crowd, strapped them in next to him, and then did the same again. Now, actually, that is quite a good metaphor for collaborative selling in that I can play this massive drum kit and you're in next to me as the customer. So, what, yeah. what, what, what is the difference between consultative selling and a collaborative approach? Um, probably get a bit, a, a bit techy about this, but for me, the consultative approach would be what came out of the Neil Rackham work in the 90s where he developed spin selling. And that's where we're encouraged to be very consultative and earn that, earn that position as a trusted advisor because we were asking questions to help people understand their issues, their problems better, and then position what we could do, which is great. I mean, that is a foundational piece of collaborative. What I'm saying with collaborative is you need to bring that into it. But collaborative, you're actually starting to think more about, but how can we work on this together? Who else might I bring in? How can we co-create stuff? The value creation and the value understanding stuff, let's bring a bit of that into the party. So it's just taking it into its next, into its next level. A bit like Challenger did. If you think about Challenger, again, my interpretation, updated consultative into the, into the, into the well, noughties, tens. It's like, well, yeah, and keep doing that, but we've got other things that we can now do to keep us fresh, keep us moving forward. Got it. Okay. We got a good morning from Texas. I'm guessing this is Fran Cole-Hebler. Good morning, Fran, if that's you. And if not, good morning, Texas. Good morning, um, Texas. Oh, I never thought I'd be saying that on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still Friday morning here, so we can still say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what is the value framework and, and what does that have to do with the collaborative approach? So the collaborative approach, it, that's how I've put it together so I can make sense of it. I need to hang stuff around frameworks, if you haven't noticed already. <laughs> and, and again, when we're training people, you know, as well as I do, that it, it just makes it easier for people to conceptualize and to work out the things to do. So the value framework is where we take all that good selling that's come out of the evolution of sales I talked about before, the elements of PQ, the elements of partnering skills, and we bring them together. And all the value framework stands for, all it stands for is validate, align, leverage, underpin, and evolve. And so you can look at each of those parts of a sale, I guess, a validate, so qualify, qualifying to a degree, but actually we need to psychologically qualify and work out it takes two to tango. And do I actually want to work with these people? Bill, like you were saying earlier, align, I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to work out where I think I can do some good here. You know, what's the kind of value I think I might be able to deliver? because I want to take that stuff, that research, that prep into the leverage conversation. So I want to have a good conversation, you know, the good solid basic <laughs> going through that. Underpinning is then backing up what I'm saying once we start to make a pitch, um, the presentation proposal, and then the, uh, the expand part is to keep it moving forward. How do we deliver on what we've promised? So, so the value framework is just a way of bringing those things together and kind of to structure what a collaborative sale would, would need to involve. Got it. Let's see. Edward Henry says a collaborative approach cannot work without a project approach and one lead, one lead to own oversight and accountability. Okay, Edward, Edward I'm not. <laughs> I'm with Edward. Definitely with Edward on that. Um, I mean, and certainly that's kind of where collaborative has morphed into hybrid. And that's what I'm saying with hybrid. That's that whole opportunity management piece in there. I think it's better if there is one lead personally as well, because they can they get it all they've got that bigger picture it's like you know we're trying to do a jigsaw together lots of people have different different uh parts the 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 lead has got the the, the box it's got you know knows what it probably looks like that kind of changes doesn't it but yeah now i'm with that 
Totally. I, I'm looking for the corners and the outside edges first. That's what I'm doing with that jigsaw. Yeah, other people have got those. Some people have got the middle. Someone's got the box. Someone says, actually, you know, you've all got it upside down anyway. Oh, if we are okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like that. Got it. Uh, one of the things I love to do about these interviews, by the way, we're, we're about halfway through. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Sales Pro Network podcast and vlogcast, and we're talking to Fred Copestake, a brilliant trainer and coach uh, from the UK. Uh, one of the things I love when I'm doing research is I get to see different things and uh, ask questions about stuff that I'm curious about. So here's one that I, I found in doing research about you. What is future orientation? Okay, so future orientation is one of the elements of PQ. So I talk about PQ, it's not something I've invented. So this is something that a guy called Steve Dent did a lot of work in the late 80s, early 90s on. Um, and he was looking at those big full-on alliances. You know, when the airlines were coming together and sort of doing the route share and everything, it worked better. And he was asked, well, you know, how, how, can, how can we make these alliances better? What can we do? He went off, did the research and came back and told them, to cut a long story short, well, you realize that organizations don't partner, people do. So PQ is people skills. And so he's, he's put this through, he's validated, he's verified it. And future orientation is one of the six parts. So start off with trust. Yeah, I always start trust when I'm talking about these six. Of course, we have to have trust. And he, he's applied this to partnering, remember? And I'm saying, actually, these fit for sales. Trust, win-win focus, interdependence or comfort with interdependence. We've got transparency. He talked about self-disclosure and feedback. Talked about comfort with change. Again, we're selling change, aren't we? So we need to be pretty comfortable with it and understand ourselves. And future orientation. So future orientation is like establishing, you know, what are the goals? What's the vision that we have? Where are we headed? Yeah. How are we going to work together towards that? Let's make our decisions based on where we're headed rather than looking backwards all the time and saying, oh, well, Jeff, you know what? That didn't used to work 20 years ago. Y yeah, but we're now and we're aiming towards that, which is a different goal anyway. So it's by, by deliberately using all of those elements of which future orientation is one of them, a skillful salesperson can really get their head right and use it to inform you know, how they are operating with their customers. They can actually be very deliberate and kind of overt about it. Hey, by the way, I use partnering skills. These are things that I subscribe to. Or they can just go, no, that's my internal compass. That's my guide. But this is how I'm, this is how I'm operating. So, yeah, that's, that, that's, why, that's why I go on about future orientation, because it's one of the elements that helps you um, be more collaborative. God, I just didn't know it by that term, but that, it's one of my favorite questions yeah. to ask my prospects. If you were a vice president of sales, and I'm assuming you sell to those people like just like I do, yeah. one of the questions I love asking is, hey, Fred, let's assume we choose to work together. We both decide that we're going to work together. And six months from now, we're sitting in your office like we are now, we're talking. What would have to have happened for you to say, wow, did I make a good decision in engaging with Jeff Goldberg six months ago? What would your salespeople be doing more of that they're not doing enough of? Or what would they be doing better or differently, or maybe less of? Tell me a little bit about that. So that sounds to me, that's a future orientation question, yes? It is. And because then you're going, I have that information. We can now use that. Everything we now say and do is aligned towards that goal. Not I thought it should be. If you think that's what it should be, then that's great. That is what we're going towards. Yeah. I'm going to do this in a transparent way. It's going to involve change. I understand what change is like. So again, you can see how you bring all the other elements in and they act together. And this approach, it starts to develop in you. Really powerful. Yeah, I, I, I think that the great beauty, maybe even elegance of a question like that is when you ask it and your prospect answers it, what they're telling you is, here's how you can sell me. My, my belief is if you ask the right questions and do the hardest thing for salespeople, which is shut up and listen, that they'll actually tell you everything you need to know yeah. in order to help them choose to do business with you. But most salespeople are so busy. Let me tell you why we're the greatest company in the world and why you should use a square peg round hole. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make sense. I, I'd rather I, I'd rather let the, the prospect sell themselves. In, in fact, my mentor in this business taught me years ago. He called me up one day. He goes, I've made a decision. I'm not writing any more proposals. I said, what are you talking about? Don't you have to go back to a prospect with a proposal? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm going in with proposals, but I'm letting them write them. I'm just going <laughs> to ask the questions. I'm just going to write down on my proposal exactly what they told me. And I said, brilliant, because that's all my proposals are, too. You yeah. said you want this. Here's how I'm going to deliver it to you. It, it, oh, it's shit. not rocket science. I, I always put a background in show I've understood the company. That's the first part, background, okay? Of course. <laughs> I actually got sort of background assessment. Right. There's all that no, stuff no, in there. I, 
Well, no, background assessment, you just go to the what about us on their website, drop it in. That's what they like saying about themselves, isn't it? There you go, background written three seconds later. Right, needs, it's what you told me. <laughs> I was just I... listening, I was writing. You can get stuff to record it now. You can probably transcribe it, drop it straight in verbatim. Right, so then what are we going to do to deal with that? The solution, that's half clever bit. Yeah, and then the why us bit. Well, actually, that's all the great things that people have done in the past. And so I just copy and paste that one in anyway. It's actually hard work. You're right. They will do it for you. Yeah, and it's it, way more interesting. <laughs> and it, it feels better to them, and it feels better to yeah. us. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to be put. Look, here's my belief, uh, and I, I don't know how many years you've been in the business. I've been in it almost fifty years, but together we're highly experienced. We're both expert yeah. salespeople. But I don't believe either of us, alone or together, and everybody listening with all their experience. I don't believe that together we are good enough to talk anybody into anything that they don't want, don't need, or can't afford. And I don't believe that's our job. I think our job when we're selling is simply have great conversations with people and help people come to the right decision for them, which hopefully is to choose to do business with us. It's not about pressuring. It's not about talking people into things. It's not about being pushy. It's just go in and have better conversations because if you do ask the right questions and listen actively, they will tell you exactly what you need to know. Yeah. And I like I say, I mean, look, I, I'm a nosy git. I'm so curious. I like I like hearing about people and what they do and how they do it. You <laughs> get paid to do this. <laughs> be be curious, yeah. yeah. And they talk about their favorite subject, which is themselves. It's it when that if you know we talk about putting light bulbs on in people, when that light bulb kind of comes on you know this is going to be great because that person is going to change what they do they're going to just the pressure is going to come off they're just they're going to have so much more fun selling um and they'll do a better job because it's not oh, i've got to push this i've got to put this other but me 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 it's like no it's about you and, well that's weird that's well we can help with that <laughs> when do you want to push, start push 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 does yeah. not work i, I don't want yeah. to push anybody into anything but by, by the way i don't know if you can hear the dogs are barking on uh, i'm can you hear that no, they're getting excited about collaborative selling and the, yeah, well, not being, not being pushy salesy people. Are <laughs> I have one dog and normally he has a bar collar on, but I'm watching my ex-wife's dog while she's away and I don't have a bar collar for him, so they're going nuts. I apologize. Uh, Edward Henry had uh, a couple of questions, it looks like. Uh, do you believe that mutual expectation is needed to establish a true partnership between the buyer and the seller? Yep. Next. <laughs> no, um, no, it's, it's a great question. And again, I'm going to keep coming back to these elements of PQ, which is you know, when I came across this stuff, I was so excited because they talked about win-win and having this win-win focus. So yeah, this is what we're talking about, mutual benefit. So unless we're both getting something out of this, well, you know, that's kind of pointless in us doing it. So part of that discussion, and as we're getting people to talk, is making sure that we understand that. The expectation bit is interesting because we can't expect our customers to be mind readers. So actually, we do have to do a little bit of talking at some stage. And part of that, and this is something that, again, less, less experienced salespeople can struggle with, is saying, okay, so you want this, 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 and this, but what I want or what I need is this, 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 and this, because that's what makes it good for me. We expect customers to just guess that. Now, sometimes that's literally our expectation is just the price, but sometimes when we're on these bigger projects and this kind of more sophisticated, more complex sale, there's quite a lot of extra stuff going on. So if we can you know, look for this win-win, we're going to be interdependent because our success is going to be dependent on their success and vice versa. And then this transparency element where we're saying, hey, look, this is what we need. It's putting us in a way better position. So that is an excellent question. <laughs> Flip an answer, yeah. which I probably shouldn't have given like that, but no, it, it totally is. And that's what sort of PQ and this collaborative approach totally talks about. Well, if you like that, Edward's got another one. Oh, do you Edward, mean to do I... what you do? Would do you mean to do what you would do if you were dating, do an intimate discovery, set the mutual expectations, keep touch points to a minimum, don't give the customer work and always set a next step? Oh, long question. So do you mean to do what you do if you're dating? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to pick up on a couple of things. Else. We talked about mutual expectations. Yeah, the the discovery piece, I saw some stuff the other day which was really winding me up. There was a bunch of people on LinkedIn who were kind of getting excited about how they managed to strip their discovery down to 10 minutes and how clever that was. <laughs> Jeff, that's the best place. So, you think that's clever? You think that's a good thing? Yeah, between we can get the whole call done in half an hour, it's like, well, I mean, how can you even claim that's 
consultative, let alone collaborative or showing any care. From what I've read in reading into that question was, yeah, the more time you take to discover, to let people talk about themselves, the better you understand to be able to use that information. But the point is that questions and why we question has moved on. The discovery, the questioning used to be, I need to discover this, A, to make sure that you tick off my BANT checklist, and then to give me enough information so I can go, right, good enough, let me fire off a proposal to you. What I'm saying to salespeople now is actually the questions you're asking are to help people think. If you can bring that to the party, you're now becoming a standout salesperson. Because at the end of the day, we're all saying pretty much similar stuff. People get really excited when I say that, but ultimately, yeah. But if what's differentiating is the way that when Jeff comes in the room, he asks me stuff and I've got to go, oh God, he's at it again. He's really making me think here. This is hard, but it's so useful because I'd never considered that. I think I've got it. And then he throws in a little nugget, which I hadn't even known in my own industry. That was a bit embarrassing, but he's made me think again. That's not for Jeff. Jeff knows what the solution looks like already. <laughs> More than likely, because it's very similar to other things that have gone. But the customer's thinking, wow, what a guy to work with. I love these meetings. That, that's how I see it. And so the, that subtle shift in thinking about why we're asking questions, not just for checklist, still there. Yeah, I still want to make sure that people qualify. But can we bring value to the party because of what we're making them think, how we're making them think. That's good to tell yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, that, that 10 minute discovery is mind blowing. I, I, I'm often oh. amazed when I speak to salespeople and I ask them, how long is your first meeting typically? And they'll say things like, oh, somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes. And I'll always ask them, uh, you know, would you be stunned to find out that mine is an hour and a half? When I meet with a president or a CEO or a VP of sales, it's 90 minutes that first meeting. And I've yet to be kicked out of anybody's office where they said, oh, I didn't expect it to take this long because you're engaging them in a real conversation where they're learning, you're learning, and you're establishing rapport and doing all the other things that you need to do. I don't know how you do that in 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, and as you said, you're talking to them about themselves. You're doing things which are making them think, thinking I'm the top man in this company and he's just come in and, oh, my word, <laughs> frightening me a little bit what value I'm getting. No, you're not going anywhere, mate. Lock the door, stay, ask me some more stuff because <laughs> I'm getting insights out of it. Exactly that, that, right. That should be our goal of sellers, not how fast can we do it. Oh, I was, I was, I was grumpy I, that day as well. Could you imagine what it was like being with? <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, what, is this what it's come to? Well, no, it hasn't because there's lots of people doing a lot of very, very good stuff. I hear you. Uh, I, I think almost every salesperson would agree that um, trust is important in sales. If, you know, uh, yeah. While many things have changed over the last 50 years, two that have not, as far as I'm concerned, is that given a choice, I'm sorry, unless they don't have a choice and can't get what you have to offer anywhere else, people still do business with people that they trust and like. Yeah. So because trust is so important, how does one go about establishing a relationship of trust with somebody that they just met? Um, well, you can't do it 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. You know, give it a bit longer and then start to do things in a certain way so have you come across the, the trust equation i love so david meister and uh charles green and i oh, forgive me the other guy that wrote this thing um is that it, you write the trust equation as t trust equals c plus r plus i over s right so what these are the components of trust so what's the first is credibility was knowing your stuff. Okay, good. Right, we know that. Of course, we're going to go to salespeople. We're going to say we know our stuff. We're going to demonstrate that. And that's all well and good. Yeah. Reliability. Doing what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Okay, fine. Good. We all do that. Intimacy is the I. So this is about being, uh, if people feeling safe, is that if they're going to share information with you, it's safe with you. You're not going to do anything bad with it. You're going to use it with the best intent. Most of us will say, yeah, I'll do all that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, good. I can build trust. Wait one. It's divided by S. Yeah, so S is self-orientation. So imagine this is an equation. You do all those things, you rack the number up. But if you're doing all of these because you're doing it for your own benefit, because I've done the trust thing and now they're going to buy off me, that number, that score comes down. If you're doing it because actually your orientation isn't towards yourself, it's to somebody else. So that score on the bottom is low. It's mm -hmm. all about them. You are genuinely doing it with the intention that you want to help people. You want to put them in a better position. You want to make a difference to them. That is what builds trust. That, honestly, that for me, that equation is so elegant because of that. First three things, pretty obvious. Yeah, we'll all do that. But who are you doing it for? You're doing it for them, you're doing it for you. When you're genuinely doing it for the people, that's what's going to start to build the trust. 
And that's why it can be a bit tricky when we're being pushed on with sales targets, we're being pushed on quota work, things we've got to do. <sighs> we can look a bit needy, but if you can genuinely do that for other people, because this stuff leaks, doesn't it? People will see it, people will sense it. But it's like, no, these people are doing stuff genuinely because they want the best for me. That's where your trust starts to be built. Yeah, I uh, I often say that uh, prospects can smell need and greed like dogs smell fear. They can smell commission breath. You know, I need to close a sale. My boss is giving me a hard time. I'm going to get my uh, my car is going to be repossessed. And um, I'm I'm uh, I'm a big fan of uh, what Zig Ziglar used to say that sales is really about service. That you're come from, you know, deep inside your gut has to be I'm here to serve you truly. Not, not just yeah. I'm here to serve you so I can make money. I'm here to take great care of you. And if yeah. if that is something that you want, then yes, I'm going to make money. And if it's not, I'm going to shake your hand and you know thank you for your time and move on. And yeah. you know if we can ever do business, great. But it, it's that first of all, it's constant prospecting to make sure you're always speaking with enough people because not everybody's going to buy. I don't care how good you yeah. are. Yeah. And it's that that come from of truly. Yes, of course, I want to make money. I want to get paid for what I do. Look, I love doing what I do, but I like getting paid for it too. But at the end of the day, if you're not truly trying to help your prospect, they can tell. They know that you just want to make some money and they're not interested unless, again, you've got what they need and can't get it anywhere else. In that case, you can be the biggest prick in the world. Other than that, you better come from, I'm here to help you if I can. And and, and that, that's why I love that equation because those guys have synthesized it so well. I mean, that's why, I, you know, one of them's half a professor. So <laughs> yeah. that's why it's so elegant and so easy to remember, so easy to explain. A lot of work and thinking on into it, but it's this self-orientation. Yeah, sell to serve. All right, so I'm looking at my questions now because I still have a bunch and I see we only have like 14 minutes left. And there's one that I absolutely positively want to make sure we get to. What is the chimp paradox? Oh, the chimp paradox probably one of the best books i've ever read it's stunning it is so good i mean i, I read quite a lot of books <laughs> you know um, novels autobiographies business books but the chimp paradox it's just i love the thinking in it it's written by a guy called steve peters who i think is now a professor as well um who's both a psychologist and a psychiatrist and it's just a way of understanding how your brain works he talks about the mind management model and he talks about how the fact that you've got a chimp in your head. Yeah, you've got three parts of the brain, basically. I'm going to, oh God, this is terrible. I'm going to butcher it badly. But there's kind of three parts of the brain. There's the chimp, the human, and the computer. And so what happens is that all, input, all inputs coming into the brain go into the chimp brain first. It's the old part of the brain. It sees things in black and white. It's there to detect if something is going to do you harm, if there's danger. If everything's okay, chimp is calm, sleeps doesn't do anything and it lets the human brain which is more socialized it's a bit more modern get on with stuff yeah in a more modern way because it's a newer part of the brain and it does things in the way that people do things in civilized society yeah problem is if something comes into the brain and the chimp goes oh hello this is a danger to us it'll kick off and and the reason why so many people like this and i like it so much is because the language is like this chimp starts to go it rattles its cage it starts squawking it starts making a real noise and you behave a bit like chimp you start doing things that you can't help and again you i know you've probably done this jeff i'm sure people listening like you know when you're doing something thinking this is just so stupid but i can't stop myself doing it <laughs> yeah it's your chimp the chimp is stronger than human if chimp arm wrestles a human chimp wins yeah it's there to protect us. That's what the paradox is, that this chimp, when something happens, it kicks off. And that's why yeah, you know, things like, well, road rage and that sort of thing, you know, and you sort of somebody cuts you up and you start going and driving really close to them, which means you're driving to the back of them. If they put the brakes on or they stop at the traffic lights, they get out, they're huge, they've got a baseball bat, but your chimp is making you do this stuff. Your human's going, don't, stop, stop, Fred. That's a ridiculous, can't help it. So this other part of the brain is a computer. Again, it's called the computer because it's been programmed. You can put programs in. And that's faster than the chimp and the human. So what they both do is they check the computer to see if there's any programs going on. So the chimp might go, oh, this has happened. Do I squawk? Oh, no, the computer says this is okay. I'm all right. I'm about to cold call, but I'm probably not going to die. So it's okay. The computer's given me a structure on how to do that. I'm about to do a big presentation. Again, nobody's actually going to physically throw me out of the room. Well, actually, that's never happened to me yet, but, you know, so actually I can calm down <laughs> yet, <laughs> calm down. So they, they refer back to the computer. So I love this because of the, the metaphor is so easy to understand. It explains why we do certain things we do, and it starts to give us the, uh, the fix for it, which is to program your computer. 
get things in there, particularly if you think they are going to kick the chimp off, then make sure that the computer's going, no, no, you, you're okay with this. You've, you've got a system. Steve Peters has worked with loads of elite sports teams. Brilliant. Because, well, as you can imagine, you're in the you know World Cup final, you're taking penalties to win the game. You know, it's like your chimp is going to be bouncing all over the place. And that's going to be very, very distracting. You need to be cool, calm, collected. Hence, you practice penalties under pressure. You do things in a way which the chimp says, actually, no, we've got this. Fine, but the human carry on. No, that's to do it. And it, it just, uh, there's a lot which salespeople can take out of this. Because we do end up in some pressured situations where our chimp will take over and we do stuff. And then it's like, oh, God, I really wish I hadn't done that. Because uh, the funny thing is the chimp tires quite quickly. We've all done it. About an hour later, oh, God, I'm embarrassing. Let's go back and say sorry to everybody. Um, yeah, you know, I had to do that the other day. My chip went. <laughs> so I just had to talk to somebody with some bananas. I said, sorry, my chip went. My bad. <laughs> it was a situation I wasn't used to. I got a computer program in it. It just went. Can't help it. It's what it does. It's there to protect you. And it just made me do weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I can, as you were describing that, I was thinking, you know, it's a good thing I don't walk around with a loaded gun all the time because my chimp constantly wants to shoot people. <laughs> Your computer says, leave it at home. <laughs> yeah. You cut me off while I'm driving. Boom. That, that, that's my chimp your chimp until it's programmed to go look come on Got it. Go. They'll, they'll get there three seconds faster <laughs> perfect um brindis is the name of your sales training company but but what is brindis golf okay so brindis golf is a is a new venture it's something that we're just in the throes of setting up which is to work in that part of the world so the whole collaborative selling approach the whole way that i've built to train that around the collaborative selling accelerator it's attracted quite a lot of attention over there so uh, i'm working with um working with a couple of people there to essentially set up an office in dubai and to be able to market sell and deliver that training to that to that part of the to that part of the world because um there's a lot of opportunity there and there's a lot of things that they do really really well and there's some ways in which we can really help them do stuff better because they're all collaborative selling. It just spoke to them because of the relationship element of, of sales over there. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a new thing about setting up, um, setting up over there and uh, spreading the word, spreading the word into the Gulf. Well, happy to help. Um, this was another oh, thing that Dubai, I... Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, this was another thing that I found fascinating and something that you posted that I'd like to hear about. Um, what can salespeople learn from rock music and vampires? <laughs> I know what I was linked to, wasn't it? Yeah, what it means is you should listen to loud rock music, then go and bite your customers, draw the blood out of them, and they're yours forever. <laughs> there we go. What's way to... You're going to cut that bit and use that as the promo, aren't you? I might. <laughs> 52 minutes talking about collaboration, and I went proper old school. <laughs> no, no, I'm being stupid. Um, no, I, I think that was... I. At the weekend, I'd gone, it was a LinkedIn post, wasn't it? At the weekend, I'd gone to see this this rock musical um, around a very flimsy story of vampires living in this in this castle. Well, basically, it was just an excuse to play a lot of old rock classics using the lyrics as kind of like the, the next part of this. It's like a grown up pantomime, to be honest. Um, like with all the classics, I mean, you've got Queen, you've got Guns N' Roses, you've got all these guys coming and doing it. But but what I think the point I was making there is, I mean, they were playing some good stuff, but they finished on Bat Out of Hell. Um, and it was just after Meatloaf had died, actually. So it was quite a it was quite a moving part of the of the whole show. But I mean, Bat Out of Hell, it's a huge song. The audience are on their feet, everyone's clapping, everyone's going through it, they've got the full band on. It's it's finishing on a banger, isn't it? And I think the point I was making is that that's how we should be finishing presentations. That's how we should be kind of rocking out. It's rather than like the thank you slide. Any questions? <laughs> you, you know, it's like, really, you've made all this effort. Shoot me. Massive impact. And actually the part where you can and you finish on the emotional high and people were off into the street and they were humming and everyone was like still really excited about it because they totally played the emotion right. Big song, sung well. Well, and that, that's the point I was making is that if we're when we, we need to go in presentation mode, yeah, we talked about discovery questions, the rest of it. Sometimes we will be into talk mode, make sure it's bloody good, make sure we're kind of hitting the right kind of notes and then finish on a biggie and just work out what, what that means in your world. I love that. 
<laughs> and by the way, Fred, if you ever see me end a presentation with thank you, any questions, please do shoot me. Can I take the gun that you got in the cargo? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. With the big question mark behind you, just in case people didn't read. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you find uh, drives early engagement in a sales conversation? Um, so even though it, it's, it's all the conversations, I mean, it's pretty loud and clear that we're on the same page here, that it's all about the customer. It's gotta be about them. However, to really get them into it and starting to give you the answers and wanting to answer your questions and just wanting, as you say, to engage, we've got to earn the right. So by earning the right, what I mean is we need to just indicate that we are an interesting person to speak to because we already do have something of interest or we get something about their industry or there's something that we are bringing to the party. So again, just knowing a trend or something that they've done or just calling out what you suspect a challenge is going to be for them, just something which makes them think, huh, you guess. Right, yeah, I'm going to play now. I will talk to you. That for me is the way to do that. So again, it's discipline because if you, you're not going into the full on rock presentation, it's just enough to be saying, hey, you know, your industry is so interesting. I was reading this stuff about this new regulation you guys have got coming in two years time. And I'm fascinated how people are going to deal with this because I don't think it's an easy thing. I love your opinions on it. Uh, what what regulation? Oh God, you know what's better than us? Oh, oh no, that's interesting. Not many people know about that one. Oh, we've got some really good ideas. Well, look, secret safe for me. Go on, tell us how, how are you going to deal with it? Because I've thought about it. I've got some ideas I want to share, but I want to make sure they are relevant and how you're doing it. Bang, we're in. So it's that's how I do it. Is dedicate. I know enough. I've done some research. Yeah, there's something in it for you. I've earned the right then we'll start to open up that, that conversation that gets people engaged early doors. Brilliant. And a page right out of the challenger sale. And I, I think, <laughs> am I correct? I think I found you because you commented on something that Todd Capone had written. Is that right? It could well be because yeah. like, I was thinking, I was thinking about it when you were asking about the evolution of sales, I was giving you that potted history and, um, yeah, compared yeah. to him, I'm just like, I'm a, I'm a novice schoolboy. He's like the professor of sales history. And it, it, it could well have been, and I'd have, I'd have said something on that. But, uh, yeah, and, and you've used the word transparency several times, and his book is The Transparency Sale, which I think is brilliant. In, yeah. in fact, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but I used to work with Todd at the same company before I opened up my consultancy and before he went off on his own. And I had no idea that he was this brilliant <laughs> I mean, that book is really fantastic. I love it, especially his talk on, on transparent negotiations. I just love that. Why not be honest? And that, that's really the essence of collaboration. Yeah, it, it is. So, so when we chatted, so we are recorded a podcast with him, but as you can imagine off there, we were, I think about two hours later, we're still gassing away sales history, transparency, how all that knitted together. Yeah, definitely on the same page. There's no doubt he's a sales nerd and he's, he loves that historical stuff. Self-confessed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I was going to say- loads I, of people have told him. <laughs> yep. Um, we only have like two minutes left. Uh, let's go with, um, uh, what is comfort with change and why do why is that important to salespeople? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I intimated that earlier. Again, one of the parts of PQ, um, of, of partnering skills, partnering intelligence, we sell change. <laughs> That's what we do. Now, have we got any right to do that if we're not comfortable enough with it or at least understand change and what it's like when somebody's going through change and that it isn't easy and there's different responses to it? You know, status quo is normally the biggest piece of competition there is there anyway, isn't there? So, oh, we don't like change, so we'll just not do anything. So we need to understand it so we can challenge the status quo. But also, okay, yeah, we are going to go with you. And it's yeah, well, it'll be nice and easy for you then, won't it? No, it's going to be really hard because <laughs> people go through that change curve, which is which is not dissimilar to grief, is it? <laughs> it's like, you know, no, I've decided to see, yeah, we're changing. It's good. I'm with it. I'm, I'm off. I'm running. I can see all the benefits. Everyone else is like, nah denial <laughs> not gonna happen really keep changing his mind anyway we don't need to do anything anger <laughs> bargaining or oh, can we just do a bit of change no we're changing acceptance getting full-on kind of stuff out of it so it's you know it's recognizing that that's that's a thing that people go through that people do have different responses to it you know some some massively resist you know, so much people love it. <laughs> They're initiators. They'll change for change's sake. Why? Shoot you, shiny. 
most adapt. So again, it's when we understand that, and that's what we're going to have to deal with and lead and, and use as salespeople. It just it puts us in a better position, makes us a better partner. Perfect. Fred, I know you've written a couple of books. I know you have courses and programs. You do training. How can people reach you if they're interested in speaking with you or maybe working with you? Uh, LinkedIn is, is, is the go-to one on there. I'm usually posting stuff that you, you've seen there. <laughs> it's not just about vampires and uh, <laughs> chimps. <laughs> I put pictures of cats on sometimes as well. <laughs> no, so LinkedIn, Fred Copesteak at LinkedIn uh, is, is, is the best one. And yeah, if you, if you do connect as a result of this, yeah, please let us know it's because as a result of this, it'll be, uh, be really good. But yeah, yes. I'm, I'm well, I, yeah, you can tell I love talking about this stuff. I'm, I'm trying to share as much as possible on this. But that's why we write stuff, isn't it? That's why we do try and put decent stuff on LinkedIn and share podcasts and the rest of it. So yeah, please, please reach out. Love you too. You and me both, my friend. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today and sharing generously with us. I really appreciate it, Fred. Uh, I'll end as I always do. Please, gang, remember, sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend. So long.